Lord, as part of our continuing worship, we get ready to open up your word and to open up our hearts, and we invite you to speak. Lord, we pray that you would bring these words not just to light, but that you would bring them to life in us so that they become our experience. We pray this with expectancy in the name of Jesus, our shepherd and king. Amen. Most of us like to think of ourselves as competent, capable, independent, self-reliant people. We have within ourselves all the resources that we need for most of the circumstances and situations in which we'll find ourselves. There is certainly a streak of that, a fairly wide streak of that in me, and I bring that attitude into pretty much every part of my life. I love to be capable, and I don't love not being capable. So earlier this week, I went on an errand to Payless to the Olive Bar. Now, who knew there, there was such a thing as an Olive Bar? I thought you just went to the store to get olives. But it turns out there's a whole spread of different options. So I, um, as we were uh, getting ready to have family gathering in from out of town and for a double celebration of Sharon's mom's uh, birthday and also of our son Sean's upcoming wedding, uh, it was uh, my part of my duties to go gather in stuffed feta cheese, stuffed olives. So I got to this long counter and I kind of took stock of the situation. Yeah, I figure I need to put the olives into something. And I looked at the end, and there was only one kind of container. So I thought, all right, I'll use this container. I don't see anything else around. So I scooped up some olives and put them in, and I found a scale at the end of the olive counter. So I went over there, and I put the olives on the scale. There were no instructions. There was no place to key in which particular type of olive I'd gotten. No place for it to spit out a a price tag that would go on the bottom of my package when I took it off to, the, uh, to pay for it. And I was stumped. And I thought, all right, I can figure this out. I can figure this out. How hard can this be? I can figure this out. I can't figure this out. <laughs> so I walked over to a woman who uh, worked there, and I said, excuse me, would you please tell me what in the world I'm trying to do? kind of looked at me, started laughing, and then jumped in helping. I can do this. I can handle this. I can figure this out on my own. I've got this. That's the way that we like to think of ourselves in most situations that we face, isn't it? And then we run face first into the wall that is called life. And we discover that we can't do this. We can't handle this. We can't figure it out on our own. We don't have this. Last Sunday, we started a new sermon series uh, that we'll be going through this fall in which we're exploring some of the most important images and metaphors that are used for the church in the New Testament. And as Travis shared with us, as we, we structured our service around this theme, the image of the church that we're exploring today is of the church as a flock of sheep. And with that image, we are brought into a perspective of ourselves that is very different 
from the picture that we like to have of ourselves as capable, competent, self-sufficient, self-reliant people. According to this picture, we are a woolly ball of needs. Every one of us. And God uses this image not only to reveal to us what's really true about us, but also what's true about himself. That he is fully sufficient for everything that we face in life and that we can trust him to be and to meet every challenge or to be for us everything we need as we face every challenge in life. So the image of of the people of God as a flock of sheep If you are at all familiar with scripture, you know that that runs as a current uh, throughout its pages. Probably the most familiar portion of scripture that we'll be walking through uh, at the end of this message is the 23rd Psalm. The essential image is God is the shepherd, I'm the sheep, he's the one who takes care of me. But it's not just there that we encounter that picture. We see it in dozens of other places, Psalm 78, Psalm 100, Isaiah 53, Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, on and on. It is a central image that is meant to be a way that we understand ourselves before God. So this is an image that would have been filled with incredibly rich associations for people who lived in the Middle East when these words were spoken or when they were written. Many of them, perhaps even most of them, had been shepherds themselves at some point in their upbringing. And all of them knew intimately exactly what sheep were like. So when Jesus spoke to people living around him in Israel about sheep, it would have been like Jesus speaking with us today about driving in a car or talking on a cell phone or going to the grocery store. This is something that they would have encountered hundreds and hundreds of times, and they would have said, I know exactly what you're talking about. But that isn't our experience. How many of you have raised sheep? We had two people, maybe. Okay. So you know, you're experts on some of this. The best way that we can make sense of these flock images, I think, including the one that we're going to be looking at today in John chapter 10, is for us to become more familiar with how sheep act, with what they're like. And the more we know about sheep, the more this metaphor will will come into focus, and the more Jesus as our shepherd will come into focus. So here are some of the things that are true about sheep that everyone within earshot of Jesus would already have known. And maybe as we go along through this, you'll get a clearer and clearer idea of why this is uh, one of the dominant metaphors in the scriptures of who we are as the people of God. And you might even find yourself wincing at a few points as I'm describing sheep behavior, and you're going, that does sound a lot like us in the church, doesn't it? So as I've spent a fair amount of time just kind of rummaging around and exploring this, I ended up with kind of three basic characteristics that seem to be pretty universal among sheep and really kind of the most important things that define the way they act. First of all, sheep are incredibly social. They love to be near each other. They enjoy each other's company. They love to flock together. They love to to frolic together. And they know each other. They recognize each other's faces. There was a story that I read about of two sheep that were separated shortly after they were born. They'd been part of the same flock. They were put in separate pastures for two years and brought back together into the same flock. And they immediately ran straight up to each other and stood nose to nose for a half hour. I wonder if that's uh, the sheep equivalent of 
Paul's greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, maybe we haven't seen each other in a while. We can run up and just stand nose to nose for a half hour with each other. They are, uh, they not only really like each other, but they are, sheep are greatly influenced by each other. They are very aware of what the sheep around them are doing, and they are quick to follow each other in whatever they're doing. So what the sheep around them are doing almost always determines what they're going to do. And they don't just like each other's company. They need each other's company, and they are desperate without it. They feel safe when they're near each other, and they feel panicky when they're separated from each other. And they start to act completely helpless when they get isolated from other sheep. Well, all of that leads to the second defining characteristic of sheep, and that, that, is, that is that they are incredibly fearful. A sheep's senses are all oriented towards predators, and they are constantly monitoring for danger. It's like that radar scoop on the top of the control tower that's constantly pivoting around, always monitoring what's going on around them. They've got ears that rotate towards the direction where sound is coming from, and they can hear sounds that are higher and lower than the frequency that we can hear. They're constantly tuned into them. The, the way their eyes are, are structured and then where they're located on their head, they can see five-sixths of the way around them all the time. And they're constantly scanning what's going on around them. And they have a really vivid sense of smell. And they can smell their predators and identify what kind of predators they are from hundreds of yards away. And they give themselves all sorts of reasons to be afraid in the midst of all that scanning. You'd think that would quiet them down as they realize there's not really anything to be afraid of around them, and they have just the opposite reaction. They are so easily frightened and overwhelmed. They become anxious and skittish whenever they see shadows, or even just a sharp contrast between colors. They, whenever they see a quick movement or hear a loud noise, or see an animal, they panic, they jump to their feet, and sometimes they run. They're so skittish and fearful that if you lead them up to clear drinking water and it has a little bit of a ripple from the wind on the surface, they're too afraid to drink from it. When they're being led into situations they don't understand, they become hesitant and stubborn and reluctant to move forward. An animal welfare study on sheep says, as with humans, despair is triggered in sheep by situations that they see as sudden, unfamiliar, unpredictable, and uncontrollable. So I think we're starting to get a little bit more of a sense of why God uses this imagery to describe us as his people. And all of that then leads to the third thing, and that is that sheep are incredibly vulnerable. Because they lack even the most basic ability to reason or to solve problems, and because they have absolutely no sense of their location or their surroundings, they constantly get in trouble and are incapable of getting themselves back out of it. They are vulnerable to melting in a puddle of fear when they become afraid. They become helpless and they panic. If they're with other sheep, they bunch together and run around in circles. And if they are by themselves, they try to hide behind a bush or a rock and they stand there trembling and bleeding, absolutely helpless. They're so prone to get themselves into trouble. They love to climb, and they're incredibly curious, and they will follow their curiosity 
absolutely wherever it leads them without discrimination or self-control. And they are always hungry. And they will follow their hunger wherever it leads them. And in both cases, their curiosity and their hunger inevitably leads them into trouble. It is not a coincidence that Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. This is actually their most fundamental behavior. They get themselves in incredible difficulties with incredible ease and with incredible frequency. And they are not only prone to get themselves in trouble, they constantly lead each other or are led by each other into trouble. One of a sheep's deepest instincts is to do whatever the sheep in front of them is doing. Utterly without evaluation. So if the sheep that they are following gets into trouble, well, guess who else gets into trouble? I read the, the tragic story of a flock of 400 sheep in Turkey. This happened just a few years ago. One sheep in the flock uh, was trying to jump across a ravine and didn't have a very good sense of distance and actually just jumped straight off the side of a 40-foot cliff. 399 other sheep followed that sheep to their deaths. And they're incredibly vulnerable to attack. Unlike other animals, they have no ability to defend themselves. No claws, no horns, no sharp teeth, no hard kick, no fast run. In spite of all of the headbutting and foot stomping and shoving and nudging they do with each other nonstop, when they're confronted with an actual enemy, they just go limp. So basically, a sheep could never exist on its own. It has no ability to find food or shelter. It's incapable of defending itself against a predator. It's unable to find its way home if it gets lost. It is basically just one big woolly ball of needs. Now, put that animal into this environment. This valley near the Sea of Galilee is a pretty typical, actually, this is a pretty friendly bit of landscape compared to the rest of the area in the area where David and Jesus would have lived. The, the, the broad wilderness and, and sort of uh, grazing land in Palestine and in Israel is characterized by extremely limited food supplies, extremely limited water sources, dust storms, insect swarms, blistering temperatures, limited shade, all of it crisscrossed, with countless unknown paths that lead to unknown places, and it is scored with deep, narrow ravines, most of them deeper and narrower than this one, that threaten flash floods and rock slides and steep drop-offs. And as if that isn't enough, the land was filled with lions, bears, hyenas, wolves, and filled with venomous snakes. And not only that, but in a region that was without police coverage or any kind of a societal infrastructure, thieves were common, whether they would hide in a crevice along uh, a low valley and wait for the flock to go by and then pick off the stragglers in the back of the flock, or they would climb into sheep pens in the pitch dark of night, slit the throats of as many sheep as they could, and then toss their bodies over the wall to their accomplice. So can you imagine a panicky, fearful, clueless, defenseless sheep out there? 
Without a caring and capable shepherd, it wouldn't last for a day. So it's with that sort of understanding of the behavior and needs of a sheep, and also it's against that sort of understanding of the hostile land in which they, were, uh, they would have grazed that we are meant to hear the words that David wrote in Psalm 23 when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, I have everything I need. And the words of John chapter 10 that we're looking at today, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. From the New Testament perspective, we are those needy sheep, and Jesus is that trustworthy shepherd that we so desperately need to survive. In fact, this was the most common way that Jesus was portrayed during the first 400 years of the church, in paintings, in carvings, and in sculptures, as the good shepherd carrying the lost lamb back to the fold on his shoulders. And we'll see why he was depicted in that way and thought of in that way uh, as we go forward. So let's turn to this passage in John 10 now and just walk through it and see what we can discover about the shepherd and his trustworthy love for his sheep. Beginning in John chapter 10, verse 1, I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, to understand this passage and the rest of what follows, uh, let me just take a minute to introduce you to this structure. This is something that you see all over the place, all through the grazing land of Palestine and of Israel and the rest of the Middle East. This one happens to be one that I came across in central Turkey, where Paul went on his first missionary journey. But I've seen these all across the region. This is called a sheepfold. A sheepfold is a circular or a rectangular enclosure. It's made from field stone. It has walls that that come up to your waist or up to your chest. And then, as you can see, uh, perhaps they're, they're lined along the top with really jagged cutting thorns. Sheepfolds don't have roofs. You would think that that would be something that would make them vulnerable, but actually because sheep are frightened by enclosed spaces, they actually feel safer sleeping out under the stars as long as they are surrounded by some sort of wall. The sheepfold, as you can see, just has a single opening. And that's known as the gate. And it's through that gate that the sheep are led each night. The shepherd lays his staff across the top of the gate and he uses that as a, as a way of, of gauging when the noses cross over the threshold and into the gate. And he counts as, as his flock comes in to make sure that there isn't one of them that's missing. Once they're all in and tucked in and settled in, because the gate is the only vulnerable part of this enclosure, the shepherd builds a fire by the entrance and then he lays down and sleeps right across in front of the entrance. And then in the morning, he leads them out through that gate to pasture. Picking up in verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he's brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The shepherd knows them, and they know him. Shepherds always have names for their favorites, and they usually reflect a knowing of the sheep by the shepherd. Something like gray ears or short tail or, or big red, black spot, pure white, stripes, angel, names like that. 
And as the shepherd leads the way to the grazing area, he calls out to them, calling them by name. And he says, ha, ha, ta, ta. Now you would think if every single shepherd was just saying that, that the sheep would become really confused. It just means, hey, come on, come on. It's basically what they're all shouting. And the, the shepherd goes out in front of his flock. But there are all kinds of uh, fun videos you can find on YouTube and stories that describe ways that, uh, that strangers will come and stand in front of a flock and say the exact same thing, and the sheep don't even lift their heads to see who's yelling. They just, they just continue to graze. But the moment their shepherd says exactly the same thing, they lift their heads up, and soon they're, they're at a run on their way over to the shepherd. So the shepherd calls them as he walks out along the path in front of them. And sometimes he walks alongside them, uh, calling out his call. And the sheep recognize his name, or they, they recognize his voice, and they run along behind him or beside him. It doesn't matter if it is dark or if it's a thick fog. It doesn't matter if the sheep, if one flock of sheep is grazing in the midst of a bunch of other sheep from other flocks, and they're all together. The moment the shepherd calls, up pop the heads, and then here they come at a run. The shepherd leads them, and he goes with them. He doesn't drive them along from behind, but he walks with them to the pasture. Now, being a good shepherd actually requires a lot of really careful thought and planning. Because you have to lead the sheep every morning out to a new portion of uh, uneaten grass where they can be fed and satisfied. So you have to figure out a way to lead them along a, a path to a place that isn't too far away, especially when they're with their young, where there's fresh grass for them, and then also to a place that's close enough to a source of water, which is rare in this area, so that they can drink, and then also a source of shade, so in the middle of the worst of the midday heat, they can rest, lie down and rest, and then still have sufficient time and a path to get them back from there to the sheepfold and tuck them in before it gets dark, and it tends to get darker early, and then when it comes, when it's dark, it is pitch black. You can't see a thing. Verse 5, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Now, it's interesting what Jesus is doing here. He's, uh, he is introducing himself to his hearers at two different levels. First of all, he is presenting himself as a shepherd of the people of God in the tradition of Psalm 23 and Psalm 100 that speaks of God as being the shepherd. But there's something else that is going on here that's really important. I don't know if you remember what comes right before this conversation that Jesus has. In John chapter 9, there's a man who is born blind and Jesus heals him. But that is a lived out parable that Jesus uses to teach and, and to confront the Pharisees. Remember, here's this man who is, who is blind, but he is allowed to see. And then Jesus makes a point about the Pharisees who claim they can see, but who are actually spiritually blind and who are misleading the people of God, leading them away from God's purposes rather than towards those purposes. So what we're told in the context in John chapter 10, verse 22, is this is happening during the Feast of Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication. And during that feast, during that week, in the synagogues, Ezekiel chapter 34 would have been read. And that's a passage that, that blasts 
the uh, spiritual shepherds of the people of God. I suppose we could say that it lambasts them. Uh, sorry, I said that sheepishly, I know. <laughs> Will you just get on with it? Uh, sorry. Okay, I'll stop. Um, so, uh, so that's in the air as Jesus is having this conversation uh, with the spiritual leaders about their failure to lead effectively. And at the, the end of that Ezekiel passage, it says, God says, because you have not been able to lead my people, I myself will come and lead them. I will become their shepherd. So Jesus is claiming that he is the one who fulfills that prophecy, that promise in Ezekiel chapter 34. Picking up in verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life. Have life to the full. Have abundant life. The good shepherd makes sure that his sheep are safe and sound. He provides for his sheep. He leads them to food and to water and shelter. He protects them. He uses his rod, which is essentially a club, to protect them from wild animals or from from a thief who comes to, to try to steal them. And he also uses his staff, which is a long stick that would have had a hook or crook at the, at the end of it. He uses that to guide them onto which of the many paths is the right one they should be following. And he also uses that as a hook to, to help rescue them if they fall into a rushing stream or, or get caught in a rock crevice or something to pull them back into safety. So every one of their basic needs, none of which they are capable of providing for themselves, Jesus is faithful to provide, and in abundance, in such abundance that they begin to experience freedom, particularly freedom from fear. So the next part of the passage expresses why they can trust their shepherd. It's because he loves the sheep and is committed to their well-being no matter what. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when, the, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks a flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. This open land is so hostile and the requirements of being a shepherd are so difficult at times that a hired hand will eventually come to a place of abandoning the flock. I've had enough of this. I'm on my way. But not the shepherd. He knows them, he loves them, they matter to him, so he is willing to sacrifice his well-being for their well-being, even to the point of dying for them. So this is where, in Jesus' teaching, the shepherding and sheep flock imagery begins to fade to the background, and Jesus begins to speak more and more directly about who he is and why he has come. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. My father loves me because I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it back up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus declares that he has come from on high to fulfill God's redemptive purposes for lost and needy humanity. Faithfully carrying out his Father's command, Jesus offers up his life on the cross 
in our place to set us free from our anxious and fearful independence from God and to bring us into the same sort of intimate relationship with the Father that Jesus enjoys. His is an incredibly narrow and personal mission focused on each one of us, one at a time, each lost and missing sheep he goes in pursuit of. If we choose him as our shepherd, he promises to go before us and to come behind us each day to protect us, to provide for us, to love us, to lead us. But not just each of us, also all of us. His is a global mission as well, directed not just to each of us, but to all of humanity. He lays down his life for the sake of sheep from every tribe and tongue and nation and language around this world throughout the ages who recognize his voice and who respond to his call. And he invites us into that same mission that is his. So what is the invitation that's in front of us in this passage? There are four I want to touch on. And then we'll conclude with a a shared prayer time. Let me just touch on these. First invitation, choose to admit your need. I can do this. I can handle this. I can figure this out. I've got this. That's the way that we like to think of ourselves. But God wants us to see ourselves differently and more honestly. To see ourselves as we really are. Yes, God has given each of us incredible gifts and resources and reasoning powers but we are still weak and fearful and vulnerable and needy, desperately in need of a shepherd to lead us through life's challenges. Christianity is not the religion of the strong and the capable. It requires us to come to a place of admitting our need and asking for help. Do you see and do you own your many needs? Do you see your inability to bring about your own well-being? Do you recognize that your physical existence, moment by moment, and your spiritual well-being both depend upon the love, the care, the provision, and the protection of a loving shepherd? A second invitation. Choose to follow his lead. From among the many in our, our world who are calling our names and promising us satisfaction and freedom if we follow them, telling us what to do and how to live, are you willing to follow Jesus into the life of freedom and peace that he offers to you? As you think about your overwhelming needs, are you willing to trust him to meet them and to be for you and to give you everything that you need? George Herbert, in his poetic paraphrase of Psalm 23, says, The God of love my shepherd is, and he that doth me feed. While he is mine and I am his, what can I want or need? Have you heard him call your name? Have you responded to his call and set out along the path after him? A third invitation, learn to recognize his voice. If you trust Jesus as your shepherd, if you have entrusted your life into his care, I would encourage you to decide today to spend time every day, every day that you possibly can, to spend time reading the Bible, including a portion of that time reading in one of the Gospels each day, so that you can learn more and more to recognize the voice of your shepherd, so that when he calls your name and he goes out before you on the path that he has for you, you can follow him freely and faithfully.
And then the final invitation is to practice entrusting your needs into his loving care every single day and all throughout the day. There's an interesting paradox in the Christian faith. The cross was a once and done act of rescue. And so is our salvation. The moment we put our faith, our confidence, our trust in Jesus as our shepherd, our salvation is a once and done experience. But the pattern of the Christian life as it's lived, the way it actually looks to follow Jesus as our shepherd is completely different from that. It isn't once and done at all. It is again and again and again. We need to come to him and ask for his help and entrust our lives into his hands again and again. It might be 36 times a day, as often as you are in need, as often as you are afraid, as often as you are in despair or anxious, as often as you are in conflict, as often as you are uncertain about the way forward, as often as you find yourself in trouble of your own making, say help to the shepherd. Cry out to him. That isn't a sign of a lack of faith to keep confessing fear and anxiousness and to keep asking for help. That is what faith looks like for sheep who have a shepherd. For us to keep turning to the shepherd and asking for his help. So we're going to conclude our worship service now with a closing song. But before we do that, I want to have us continue in our worship and respond to this passage and to this theme with a time of prayer. We're going to be praying together the 23rd Psalm. Praying scripture just means responding in prayer to what you read in the scripture that's in front of you. For example, in my quiet time just yesterday, I happened to come to Psalm 100 in my reading through the Psalms, and it has this line. Know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So praying that portion of that psalm, I could express praise, maybe saying something like, Lord, thank you for the blessing of knowing you. I don't just know about you. I'm in relationship with you, and you brought me into that relationship. I know you, and you know me. Thank you, Lord. Or maybe you could respond with an invitation to God, saying something like, Lord, you brought me into being. I exist because of you, and I belong to you. I'm yours. So, Lord, you unfold for me the life that you want me to have. Or maybe you could respond with a confession, maybe something like this. Lord, it is so easy for me to live my life as though I don't have to answer to anyone else and as though I don't need anyone else's help. Forgive me for my independence from you, my creator and my provider. You are so faithful to me. Help me to be faithful to you. So I'm going to read through Psalm 23. I'm going to be doing this in a different translation, in the New Living Translation. And the reason is just so that we don't do this by rote, but that we're really thinking about what we're hearing and what we're seeing. I'll read through the passage. Um, All the texts will be up here on the screen if you want to have your eyes open and and read along um, quietly. And then after each one of these, I'm just going to give us a little bit of time to respond to God silently in prayer. And then after we're done walking through this, our worship team will uh, lead us in closing our worship. So I invite you into prayer. Uh, as, as a woolly ball of needs, come and put yourself before our loving shepherd and, uh, and express your heart to him in response to this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need.
He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with your blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord 